The time is 6.27pm. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sansbury. So here we are. Organised and arrived. Pleasant Valley Sunday. Yes, the sun is streaming through the window. The cat, just before we went live, the cat walked across across the front of your screen. So I'm sure we'll see a cat, uh, uh, you know, one of the one of the four possible cats that could invade the podcast. Um, yeah, no, Eid Blyton seemed very keen to be on the be on screen, so we'll we'll await her return. So, so yes, how's your week been, mate? Uh, not too bad. The usual sort of thing of trying to keep myself out of mischief. Um, doing a bit. I um, my good little deed um, yesterday was I went and did some litter picking in along Hillsy lines up by the Lido. Um, found it really interesting that I don't quite understand what people were hoping to achieve by actually half burying bags of dog poo. If they're thinking that that's planting it, it's not going to grow into a Labrador um, or anything else. So. Yeah, that's not going to work, guys. If you're if you're going for gorilla gardening, different method, please. Yeah, no, it is mad. So yeah, we in fact we well, surprised we didn't bump into you. We were thing else. We were there yesterday. So, took, uh, for it. Yeah, that's not going to. Yep. Yeah, sorry, that was cool. me crossing the feed. I crossed no the feed. Is that a Ghostbusters reference? I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, no, we were up uh, Fox's Forest yesterday taking meals into we were, we were there yesterday to understand that. I've picked the dog poo up, I've put it in a bag. Now I'm going to just throw it into the side of the path. It's not difficult. It's in a bag, it's hermetically sealed. Put it in the dog poo bin. Yeah, it's it's a strange one. I, I don't understand. I mean, personally, it's just one of the reasons why I don't have a dog because I don't like the idea of picking up poo oh. but uh, also it's impractical in a two-bedroom flat with two cats um, yes we, we when we back in the heady days when we could broadcast from the live from our costume studios there was always the there was the commentary from the cats as to why have you put that bloody big dog in here i don't like him i'm sure he's about to do something horrible yes they were they were always making some comments um but usually to be fair kind of peace broke out quite quickly oh, yeah. as long as they kind of stayed away from each other um and milsey really wasn't kind of that bothered it was just the cats just wanted to sit at the other side of the room and and you know growl at milsey but um but there we go um so yeah how's how's your week been mate? yeah been good good to be honest very busy at work um got another big project coming to uh coming towards that sort of critical stage just before we uh, we launch stuff and go live where you know lots of loose ends trying to be tied up and lots of help from people who go have you thought about x y and z and you smile sweetly and go thank you for that yes we have um so yeah it's been a bit like that but um no been generally good the weather remains beautifully pleasant so i was able to fire the barbie up a couple of times this week and got my tired aging frame along to the gym for a few good sessions so um yeah yeah it's all been uh it's all been tip top really can't complain was there eye of the tiger playing in the background funny that it's funny you should say that because tuesday morning my gym partner my 20 year old lad tom was not it was a struggle getting him out of bed. So I got my digital assistant of the same name as yours to play Eye of the Tiger. 
as he came down the stairs at uh, 20 to 7. Um, I, I'd like to think it motivated him. We at least got along. Well, there we go. Everybody needs a bit of... Was that Bonnie Tyler? Or am I confusing? Bonnie Tyler, that was... Um, Ah, was, um... In my mind, I get confused between I the Tiger and um... Africa. Living in a powder keg, giving off sparks. I think it's too many oh. Glee mashups that's done for me. Yeah, so, so we've got Becky waiting in our waiting room. So, um, shall we? So quick look at on this day. What have yeah, you got so for let's, me? Let's get our on this day. So on this day, our little list of things in the histories of September's the twentieth. So nineteen forty six, Churchill argues for a United States of Europe. Okay, I guess you think that'll never catch on. Um nineteen fifty four, New Zealand Special Committee on Moral Delinquency in Children and Adolescents reports just ten days after concluding hearings. Um this is the uh Mason Garb inquiry into juvenile delinquency. It blamed the perceived promiscuity of the nation's youth on working mothers, the ready availability of contraceptives, and young women enticing men to have sex. Um as well as, um, and the report was sent to every New Zealand home, um, as well as excessive wages being paid to teenagers. See, this is why teenagers get paid such low wages, I guess. Um, so excessive wages being paid to teenagers, a decline in the quality of family life, and the influence of American films, comics, and other literature all apparently contributed to the problem. Um, and it concluded that, um, that the best thing to do was to introduce stricter censorship, um, and restrictions on giving contraceptive advice to young people, because in the history of everything, that's proved to work very, very well. No, I, I, think, I think they might have missed the mark there with that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, I think their empirical data was somewhat flawed. Um, 1963, JFK proposes a joint US-Soviet voyage to the moon. Um, which is obviously we all know that they didn't take him up on the offer, um, unless no. of course you were a bearded guy that stood on the Guildhall steps um, on Saturday in Portsmouth. Um, you probably thought that no one actually went to the moon. Um, in ah, uh, the moon is a hoax. What? Just the moon or the going to the moon? Oh, just. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's not go there. Okay. I, I read the comments of Corbyn the Elder yesterday. Uh. And you you're know, making, I'm you're surprised make... you still can't see the face mark on you, you, the palm mark on my forehead. You, you make him, you make him sound like a um, a Tolkien character, Corbin the Elder. Um, yeah, I think that's where he's at. So, 1972, the Social Democratic and Labour Party issues a document entitled "Towards a New Island," proposing that the British and Irish governments should have joint sovereignty, sovereignty, sovereignty. Ah, oh, put my teeth in sovereignty over Northern Ireland. So there were, you know, still troubles trying to solve the Northern Ireland question even then, before the troubles actually kicked off. Um, 2011, our last one, the United States ends its don't ask, don't tell policy, um, allowing gay men and women to serve openly in the US forces for the first time. There we go. Progress. Nice to end on a bit of progress. It is. It is. That's also a good song by Nick Kershaw, but, you know, there we go. Progress, that is. Um, So... Who's our guest today then, Ian? So we've got Becky Lodge waiting in the uh, in the um, lobby there. So Becky runs her own marketing business, Little Kanga, and has set up a Startup Disruptors, which is a business networking kind of consortium that goes across the UK helping folk to start up their own businesses. But I won't say too much more because I'm sure we should invite Becky in and let her... Uh, Better describe it in much more accurate terms than I would. Indeed. 
I've pressed the magic button. Hello, Becky. Can you just unmute for a second? Yeah. There we go. Hello. There we go. I'm trying to make my screen bigger as well. So there we go. Good evening. Good evening and welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. So welcome to the Pompey Politics podcast and um, really looking forward to having a chat this evening. And can you start by making probably a much better fist of introducing yourself and the organisations that you represent? Yeah, of course I can. Um, so my name is Becky Lodge. I'm the founding director of a company called Little Kanga Limited. I started from my kitchen table in 2015 and basically um, help companies better understand how to use uh, social media and uh, digital transformation to actually help their sales in B2B, in business to business. Um, so lots of sort of online tech stuff um, is what I'm really good at, including marketing automation. Um, off the back of this, um, I also started and created two brands. The first was called, or still is called, Startup Disruptors. And what we do there, it's a membership-led community of over two and a half thousand small business owners and startups across the Solent region, and also um, now rolling out nationally, which is good news for me. Um, and what we do there is we actually help startups and small businesses to um, get their businesses started. So anybody who's in their back bedroom now, like we are, um, who wants to start a side hustle or also um, just wants to give up the nine to five, maybe leave corporate, um, that's what we do. So we do everything from funding. Um, we've got some uh, partnerships with Funding Circle and Transmit Startup to help with funding. And so far we've raised over £250,000 worth of grant and loan funding for our startups in four years since 2016. So the story behind that is we started with um, nine people in a pub in Portsmouth. Um, wow, sounds, like, sounds like the start of most pub? really good stories. <laughs> yeah, and all the best things start in a pub, that's what I would like say. Um, and basically, we built out from there, we built a social media following, and we now are a one-to-many um, delivery program online through uh, Facebook, Instagram, and soon to build, hopefully, um, a digital platform to actually facilitate that growth. Um, Hampshire Meet the Buyer is a business-to-business -business event which started um, in 2017 and that was actually in partnership with Portsmouth City Council and the University of Portsmouth Business School and what we do at that event is actually help small businesses and startups to get contracts from big corporates so that the pound stays in Pompey and the money stays in Hampshire. Um, so there was a frightening statistic a while back which was our productivity in Hampshire is 10% below national average. And okay. I wanted to stop um, money bleeding out of Hampshire and starting to award it to um, local businesses in the local area. This is primarily in, in engineering infrastructure, construction, um, male-dominated industries, as I call them, which is my background before I started up. So we've got names like Balfour Beatty, um, who have attended that. Um, we've had Uber speak at that event and Vayner Media, who's a, a, a multi-million pound New York agency. Um, so I keep myself busy. As you can see, unfortunately, meet the buyer this year. We've had to postpone it. It was due to be this month. But Startup Disruptors, because it's online, is uh, taking off and accelerating at pace. Um, so if anybody wants to join us in that, we, we'd love to help anybody that we can. And predominantly, that's what I've been doing since the start of lockdown. Brilliant. Excellent. I was going to so ask, actually. That... How, um, sorry, you. Simon. You know, um, yeah, I was going was to ask, actually, whether the recent... Oh, I've hit my microphone. Whether the, you know, the recent chain of events has seen... Um, more of an increase in p 
people searching for that sort of help because uh, have people have more people been looking to you know to make more of a side hustle and work for themselves in the current environment yeah i think it was interesting because when i came up with the concept because um as if i'm a future thinker that's that's what i do i've been doing it my whole life um mainly building sales teams and uh, building sort of uh blue sky thinking stuff that people have been like i don't get this and when i started startup disruptors in a pub in 2016 people were like well there's no need for this there's already enough facilitation and I just said, you're wrong. There's not the right facilitation. Um, and it's because there was a lot of research out there. And I love the statistic, as anybody knows me, I've bored people rigid with my stats. But LinkedIn did a study, um, which I read, and, and, it, and it really frightened me. And it, it actually said that by 2025 in Britain, two-thirds of fully employed people would also have to have a, have a side gig just to facilitate the current standard of living that they had now. Obviously, I don't know whether LinkedIn had a crystal ball, um, but I think that we've seen through the pandemic an acceleration of people wanting different things. So this is more turning towards a values-based society rather than a monetary-based society. And I think for too long, especially people in Gen X, which is my generation, I'm 49, we've, we've slogged at a desk for 30 years and we just want something that's different. And I think that the pandemic actually brings into focus um, very quickly what's important in life. And I think that people are now thinking, actually, I like seeing my children. I like being a good parent. I like being at home. I like seeing my parents, my, you know, my aging parents when, when allowed to, obviously. Um, and it's, it's about being a kinder society. And I think this is what in westernized culture, in the relentless chase of um, money, and, and, you know, in terms of looking at the capitalism model, it's a bit broken um, alongside our planet. So for me, it was always, you know, what, what do we need to do to actually help people who are from areas of deprivation in the city that maybe have lots of different barriers to market entry in terms of starting a business, actually start and get going um, and in a, in a quick way. And technology has changed everything, absolutely everything. So, yeah, I think in answer to your question, it's been phenomenal. I mean, we've seen in our Facebook group alone last week, we've had nearly 100 members join. You know, we've got a group mm -hmm. there that's now 1,600 strong. Um, and it's just a different way of communicating and a different way of people coming together um, and just wanting to share their stories. I think that's so important. Cool. Thank you. There's some, there's some fascinating stuff in there that I think we'll, we will definitely touch on later in the conversation. I, I guess one of the, the, the kind of most obvious questions is, is what made you want to work for yourself rather than be part of that you know, corporate machine? I think uh, in 2008, I was an EMEA sales director for a radio broadcast uh, software company in America. Um, and I'd spent a lot of time building sales teams and help marketing teams over the, the past 20 years. And I've done every single job in sales. You know, when I was 21, I started selling cars after I graduated and really sort of did every single job and got my hands dirty. And in 2008, I was basically, you know, doing a job that I loved. I thought was fantastic. Um, and then overnight, I lost it. Um, and we were made redundant. They, they uh, closed the office in the UK and I had a really difficult time with my mental health for two years because I've been working for my whole life just to focus on this 
what one thing, you know, my career was my prim- primary focus. Yeah. And it all fell apart. And I and I fell apart, to be honest. Um, and actually, I wrote about this in, in the book, um, which is this one, Don't Build Roller Skates for Birds, my early stage startup story, which is available on Amazon and Kindle. Because I just wanted to say to people, it's okay not to be okay. Um, I, for a long time, was a top 1% sales performer in every organization, you know, the money followed. But I just really fundamentally, there was some gapping. Um, So having to pay the mortgage like everybody else at that time, I went back to the job again. I had 100 interviews, got turned down and went to work um, for an engineering company based over in Haven, who were absolutely fantastic. Um, and I was very broken when I when I went to work there and he put me back together again and I'll be eternally grateful for that um, and I think I was sat at my desk one day I've got everything back again that I'd worked so hard for you know big house Audi on the driveway and I just thought I can't do this anymore this is not what I'm here to do I've got all of this skill and all of this ability and what makes a difference is helping other people to build their dreams and it sounds really cheesy and I handed my notice in that day um my husband was like what you know uh, he was are you are you sure you thought this through and I went no I haven't thought it through but I'm fed up of thinking and I just need to do and that's how it began and literally started off at the University of Portsmouth Innovation Space at the top end of Hampshire Terrace my first job was for them which was filling that innovation space with um with small businesses and, and startups um, we had a 500% sales uplift in less than nine months. And really, it was a culmination of not feeling something inside was just fundamentally broken. And I think for a long time that I'd gone so far away from what I was put here to do that I didn't even notice that I was just on autopilot. And I think that the world's a very strange place. And life's a very strange thing. And as you age, you realise that you're given signs at various points in your life to signify where you should be going. Um, and this, for me, was is the thing that I was put here to do, is just create community, um, create wonderful experiences for that community, make sure that they're loved and cared for. Um, and I don't get me wrong, you know, I'm a salesperson through and through. Business is very important, but equally... Um, if you're running a business that's morally redundant, you're never going to succeed. And I think that this is what capitalism is teaching us now, which is people want something more. They want to know your why. They want to know why you started, which is why it's a, tr- a tremendous question to ask somebody. Mm, it's, it's fascinating listening to you there because it's that, uh, and again, I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to more of this later, because, you know, uh, again, when we... When you think about sales and marketing and sales particularly, you know, it, it, it always strikes me very much in the style of the Gordon Gecko greed is good. And the, you know, it, it is the, the, the most successful salespeople are the people who would be prepared to sell their granny for a fiver if there was a profit in it. But it sounds to me like you're, you've, almost, you've almost looked at it from a different angle um, you know, looking at the more human side of sales and marketing. I think, I mean, I've been doing this a long time, like 30 years now. And the one thing that I learned very early on is the very best salespeople, the top 1% aren't willing to throw their granny under the bus for a tenner. And this is what I wanted to stop in Portsmouth. So 
we started to actually protect small business owners from being ripped off and exploited um, because a lot of women came to us and a lot of people who had additional needs, so dyslexia, ASD, ADD, saying that they were being exploited by unscrupulous suppliers. And I thought, well, this has got to stop. There's fundamentally something extremely wrong here. Um, and that's a very unusual point of view. And it's a very unusual point of view um, in Portsmouth, and it's a very unusual point of view um, globally. But it's it's I'm not alone in it. There's a whole uh, values-based, values-led movement um, appearing across the world, primarily emerging in America, um, which is leading people on to want to explain why they started. Because if people don't understand what it is that you do and why you do it, then then they're never going to understand the product that you've produced or the service that you've produced for them. And the very best people that I've ever met in, in sales have been people who, who have had a conscious. Yes, you've got relentless targets. Yes, you've got to hit those targets every month. But when you work for yourself, it's very different. You have more freedom. <laughs> and that's a dangerous combination, actually, of having somebody that has a mission and is on a mission. Um, and I think somebody wants, you know, it's a, it's a very common phrase in technology, which is purpose-driven founders are very dangerous because they're not going to stop and they have a very sort of um, high ethical and moral compass that they will follow to the letter. I mean, we've had approaches from several different organisations who've wanted to exploit our sales pipeline of people and I've just turned them away because I said that's not what we're about. We're about building mm -hmm. partnerships and value relationships that we want to have build a sustainable legacy in the cities that we operate in. Um, and I'm sorry if that's not fashionable. Actually, I'm not even sorry. Um, it's just that it's just not, if it's not for you, then it's not for you. Um, and that kind of exploitation has been going on for too long. And, and I was the person who's, who's standing up and saying that has to stop. You touched on it a little bit there in, in terms of, you know, working for yourself. What would you say, uh, uh, it sounds like, you know, you tend... 10 years of cutting yourself free and going it alone. What, what, what do you consider to be the real benefits of being your own boss? I think you get to do what you love every single day. <laughs> and if you're not doing that while you're running your own business, you're running the wrong business. And I think it is simply that. I think if you are, you know, frustrated in your current job role, and I think we all are at some point in our career, because I don't think there's anything that's perfect. I'm old enough and long enough in the tooth to know that. But I think that there's something very powerful about doing what you want to do because you're more committed to it. Um, and I think that that says a lot about somebody's stickability if they're able to start something and see it through. Because founding a company is nigh on impossible and the odds are pretty crap. So mm. if you look at the startup rates in Portsmouth, for example, 80% of businesses fail in the first five years. And that's a figure from Startup Britain. And that's not just Portsmouth that's the UK and we're like kind of proud of that statistic and I'm the person who's going why <laughs> why are we yeah. why are we proud of a statistic that's clearly not building any form of sustainable legacy um, and I think for a long time the public sector has had a lot of the money um, and it's devolved it through the same channels all the time and there's no competition and I, I don't think that's healthy so that the capitalist part of me says well actually if you don't disrupt things and you don't change things, then and you don't challenge, then 
you're always going to have the same rubbish results. And I think as a, as a, as a results orientated person, because of who I am, um, it's about how do we improve something that's actually out there to make it even better. Um, and if it's not out there, then we'll create something that will make it even better. And that's really why, you know, I don't, I just, I'm driven. That's how I'm driven. I'm just driven differently. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are. I don't think I'm unique in that sense of the word. But yeah, I think it's just do what you want to do in life because life is perilously short. And if you, you know, if you're sitting there at any age, it doesn't matter whether you're 25 or 65 and you're unhappy, then the only person that can change that is you. So, you know, do something about it. <laughs> kind of um, veering into kind of life coaching, isn't it really? In a, in a, in a sense of, um, you know, that, that sort of outlook. Um, I guess if, if those are those, I guess the obvious question to ask the next is if those are the benefits of, um, of working for yourself, what are the, what are the negatives or the risks would you say? Um, nobody will help you. Um, nobody likes somebody who comes in and changes the status quo. Nobody takes you seriously. Um, I think as a woman, definitely nobody takes you seriously. And we've only got to look at, you know, the, the woeful figures in venture capital funding worldwide. Only 3% of VC money goes to female founded businesses. Um, it's tiring. It's debilitating. Uh, it's absolutely knackering. It's some days are the worst days of your life that you'll ever have. Um, your family potentially will fall apart because of the stress and emotional pressure that you'll put yourself under. Um, so this is why it's not for everybody. So I think to be mentally resilient is a is a really good trait. And actually, that's why people who have ADHD are phenomenal entrepreneurs because of the, the mental resilience and the energy that they have in the way that their their brains are built. So, and this is what we looked at in startup disruptors it was how do we take these people who've been perhaps told in education that they have special needs and actually it's just that they haven't been given the right opportunities so for me it was always about I hate the word SEN it just does my head in it's just like well I think there's specific superpowers that certain people have that other people don't have um, and just because somebody's brain is wired slightly differently to maybe see a bigger picture and not the detail doesn't it's not necessarily a bad thing that's why you build teams because teams are massively successful um and i think i'm a big believer in the power of the collective brain so that's you have to have six or seven brains you can't just say i'm brilliant um and i think that actually founding a business without ego is very difficult because there are, there is a lot of ego you have to be to a certain extent but you have to be um, realistic about what you're able to achieve alone because it's going to be a, it's a very lonely place um, socially isolating mentally difficult um, and if you really want to be out on your own you are a hundred percent all day long but it's not going to stop you <laughs> it's, it's like a, some sort of insane worrying that you have that you, you just think actually oh, I have to do this it's not even a choice um, and I think that's really you know what it boils down to. It, it, earlier, you mentioned you know about the 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 challenges and the exploitation that that particularly 
um, women entrepreneurs face when starting up their own business. Can you just expand for us a little bit about you know what what sort of forms those those exploitations manifest themselves as, and you know what you and and, and what sounds like now a, a much wider network are able to do to to maybe get you know women entrepreneurs a better deal. Yeah, so I think. Uh, fundamentally, it was financial exploitation and, and naivety and commercial naivety. One of the, the big problems in Portsmouth's market is that there's a there's a strong desire. We're in the top 20% of innovation cities in the UK, according to the Grant Thornton Vibrant Economy Report. But we're in the bottom 20% for inclusion and community and diversity. So we've got a real dilemma in that at the top end, we've got the innovation, but at the bottom end, we've got not got the inclusion of supporting female led and owned businesses or LGBTQIA businesses or, you know, just people that just are on the margins and the fringes. And actually, that's where the, prof the profitability will be driven from is in that, you know, creative difference of thinking differently and in, especially in the digital and creative industries. Um, and I think that when we started, it was just as simple as, we had one lady who turned up and said, I've just joined a networking group. They've charged me three grand up front. Um, 12 weeks in, she decided that she didn't actually fit because it was totally the wrong fit for her and she couldn't get her money back. And I was like, what is going on? And then there's somebody else that was having a website built and a guy took £20,000 off her and then just disappeared overnight, did a flit, changed his phone number, never to be seen again. Um, and there are issues with people who do have additional needs that they are super trusting. Mm. Um, and if you have that, lack, if you haven't been in corporate and if you haven't been in sales, you don't see it coming. Um, so you see, Oh, this person seems really nice and they want to help me. Here's, here's my redundancy package that I've had and they hand it over. So to me it was, well, that's got to stop. That's totally unacceptable. And that was the yeah, polite version of what I said at the time. Yeah. Um, and I was just really frustrated as hell with it um and that's really the ethos behind what we do now which is do you want vetted suppliers we've got them all of these people share our ethos and our mentality so it becomes dangerous as a community because it's self-regulating so people you get to a certain size and then people will say well i don't really like this person because i think they're trying to exploit what you know what we're doing um or they can ask around because word of mouth is huge in mm. startup. So I always say startups more Derek Trotter than it is Steve Jobs, which is, you know, people will ask around. It's small. It's incestuous. It's, it's a tiny community. So don't screw people over because people will find out. <laughs> well, and I think that's where it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, again, I, I used to work in procurement, um, so back in the day, I could tell you how much uh, a, a reel of magnetic tape would cost because that was the kind of thing that I bought and sold. But what I couldn't tell you, you know, if I was sat here now, you know, is that if I wanted a, a website built, you know, what, what, what would somebody expect to pay for that? And I think that's where perhaps that, that lack of, you know, if somebody rocks up and says, well, you know, if you want to be, you want it as an e-commerce site, it's going to cost you four grand. There's a bit of me that goes, well, that sounds quite expensive, but I guess if that's what it costs, that's what it costs. Yeah, Is that I think, something you'll sort of members were experiencing? Yeah, I think that there's something about people not understanding the evolution of technology. So, 
I mean, it, there is still a lot of that, oh, well, I need a website. It's like, no, if you're running a business to consumer orientated home-based business, you need a Facebook page and you can make up to 85 grand a year on that Facebook page. And all the website designers, they're up in arms saying, you're trying to take away all the business. Like, no, technology is taking away all your business, not me. Look at Shopify. Shopify is, is absolutely a platform that's optimized to do everything that you could ever want and more. Uh, Gymshark, which is now the first one billion uh, pound uh, unicorn in the UK, started on Shopify from his back bedroom in Birmingham. You don't need everything that we we were told as a generation you need website you need a you know google adwords you, you don't it's everything's changed and this is the actual pace of technology is utterly phenomenal and what people don't understand is there's a huge digital marketing skills gap in hampshire and and across the uk and this is um fundamentally affecting our business sustainability because people refuse to upskill themselves but also the government haven't actually been prolific in actually helping with that either. <laughs> so um, it's very difficult uh, for people to, to know what they, they don't know because they don't know what questions to ask. So, of course, yeah. what happens is if suppliers will go and say, well, of course you need a website, of course you need business cards, of course, you need. Well, yeah, the actually, you probably don't. There's a throwback. It's, it's, like, it's like walking into Curry's and saying, I need to buy a computer, but I know nothing about them. And the, and you know and the and the bless them that you know the salesperson is going is you know literally lighting up with glee. It's like fantastic. Um, so it's yeah. yeah I don't know. I'm I'm seeing kind of parallels between someone um, getting a builder in to build an extension or getting something done with the car. Where like you said, you you don't know what questions to ask, so you don't know you don't know kind of what to look for. You wouldn't kind of think to get okay. I'm I'm going to get a couple of other quotes to kind of compare. You wouldn't kind of think of is this actually is this an is this particular functionality something that I need to stick money behind or or isn't it? Um, it's it is an in, it's an interesting point, but the the trustworthiness bit, I guess, um, yeah, that's a that that's a key thing. But I guess there's always fresh people to. I don't want to use the word con, but it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's snake oil, and that's what we set out. I set out to say no more snake oil in in this city. That's it. And, you know, we've got a low uh, barrier to market entry of 99 a month subscription. People are horrified. You know, business co coaches for a long time have been milking, you know, 450 a month to, you know, anything to 14 grand a month from people. And I'm like, you don't need it. You just need a peer-to-peer -peer community of people who are at startup and scale-up stage. Some are two days in, some are five years in, and you can all answer each other's questions. It's quite easy. Um, or it was easy for me. It was easy for me to see that was where the gapping was. But people were, were like, well, you're putting me out of business. And I said, well, it isn't me. It's the market. Market forces dictate whether or not you're successful or not. And if, you're, if you have an outdated business model, then you will ultimately just be outstripped and outrun by somebody else. So it's, I mean, it, it can happen to me at any time. It can happen to anybody at any time. The fact of the matter is, if you fundamentally don't understand the power of social influence and technology, whatever your size of organisation, it's, it's it, your business potentially will be very short-lived. Because if you look at how fast you can acquire through social media channels, I mean, I said to somebody jokingly, and, and I don't think they were impressed. I think they thought I was being a bit flippant, but and maybe I was. But I said, look, I don't even have to go to networking anymore. I can 
sit in Thomas on a Sunday afternoon and go on LinkedIn and send 50 in-mails to people in my target market and ask them if they want to come and talk to me. Yep. That's it. Facebook's the same. Instagram's the same. And if you're, you know, still thinking that you need to go and have, you know, rubber eggs and bacon with somebody at half past six in the morning, it's just what century do you live in, man? It's just insane. Um, and I don't think that's a future thinky thing. That's just uh, we're in the, you know, we're in the sixth or seventh year of the fourth industrial revolution, the biggest change since mechanization. And, it, it, you know, I might have a very peculiar view of the world. I just read a lot of stuff. <laughs> I think the thing you touch on there, which is interesting, is, is the, the speed at which the model changes. You know, and if I, if I look at it, it's that element of, you know, we, we talk about Facebook and I, I'm, I'm blessed with a 17 and a 20 year old um, who, you know, like, well, Facebook's so last year, Dad. It's like, no, it's not. It's cutting edge. I was like, oh, no. Oh, you've no. Got TikTok. You've well. got to Insta it. Well, what are you saying? Well, are you not on TikTok? I, I don't know what you're saying now. I'm just yeah. going to step away. You're just using words that I don't reckon. This conversation. Yeah, I mean, a, fr- a fr- friend of mine was on the television last week. You know, she recorded a couple of little videos of her mummy's guide dog owner stuck them on TikTok and one of them had taken off and had had 2.4 million hits. And it was that, I don't really understand how that works. So I'm just going to, I'm going to sit here on Facebook because I think I understand. Yeah, but I think it's about where your target audience is. And this is what I always say to everybody. If you're, you know, targeting the next generation, uh, you know, of, of school kids and 16 to 24, you're going to be using TikTok. If you're, you, you know, wanting to ch- uh, target the over 40s, you're going to be using Facebook. Oh, um, that's you know, very reassuring. You've got a good combo. <laughs> yeah, you've got it. And again, this is why people get it wrong, is is they'll say, well, I want to do everything. And I'm like, nope, you're doing everything really badly. Just, you know, you know, pick one specific channel that works directly for your market. Um, you know, for business to business, you just want to use LinkedIn and Twitter. And, that, and that's it. Um, for business to consumer, you want to be using Facebook with a very, very tight ad funnel um, and a very specific target audience. I mean, very specific, so specific. Facebook is, I love Facebook because it can even target by television program that people are watching um, and, and and what supermarket they shop in and how much average value they spend on lots of different things. So it's, it's such a fantastic revenue platform. It's just genius. Um, but it has its dangers, you know, like every mm. platform does. But um, no more dangerous than when we were playing outside in the 1970s and we didn't tell, you know, our mums and dads what time we were home for tea and they worried. <laughs> you had to find a phone box. Shh, don't tell them that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's just a, diff- just a different platform. Yeah, I think the, I think the interesting thing with, with, um, with Facebook is kind of like traditional marketing looks at literally just playing the numbers game of you shove enough people into a large enough funnel at one end that eventually at the other end you'll get you'll get customers whereas um you know the the segmentation and targeting tools in in facebook really kind of allow you to actually stop wasting your time talking to people that um are you know it's the it's the it's the equivalent of 
putting leaflets through people's doors, knowing that 99% oh. of them are going to end up in the recycling. Um, and you not knowing for three months whether anybody actually read the le- read it at all, but you spent three weeks delivering this leaflet across the city. Is that, that's, yeah, it's, and it's it's you're back. I mean, there's there's a couple of things, good, really good points you've made there. Which is the first one is I think it was Henry Ford that said, "I know that fifty uh, percent of my ad, ad advertising works if only I knew which fifty percent." Um, and that's you know very old school model. And I think that also what's scarily brilliant about Facebook is you can have a conversion ad strategy which actually targets people that buy things on Facebook, so you can push your ads in front of them. So that they buy more of your things. Um, so understanding this this massive digital skills gap that we've got is is going to mean that businesses in the UK are going to be hemorrhaging money and going to be out of business because they can't compete globally. So if you look at education as a prime example of this in the university sector, what's actually happening at the moment is um, obviously pandemic not good, um, falling birth rates not good in Britain. Uh, international students we're not an attractive proposition right now and if you spend any time on Facebook for a period of time in the evening you'll probably notice that Stanford and Harvard and all the US um, people and schools uh, business schools are flogging MBAs on Facebook through sponsored ads for a third of the cost so as a consumer do you then actually say well I'll tell you what I'll whip down the local uni and I'll spend best part of 12 grand on a on an MBA or I could have a Stanford or a Harvard MBA for a fraction of the cost. What are you going to do? It's a, it's a really, really tough choice. And people want convenience. They want online learning. They want it to fit around their lives. And Amazon have created this fantastic model of upselling and just, you know, bespoking it so much to the consumer. that That's what we're now used to as consumers. So for the first time, business to consumer and business to business, the, the lines are blurred. Because actually it's human to human interaction now. So we're not talking about, and going back to your flyers, in the old days, if you were in B2C, you'd ram some flyers through the door, you'd do a local ad in, in your local thing that comes through the door like it does at my home, you know, plumbing or whatever. Honestly, you might as well just open the door and throw your money in the street. It's just, and, and I think that that's what's controversial is that actually saying that because people are, well, no, I know what I'm doing with my marketing. No, really, honestly, you can't, you can't you say that. And I could say, you, you can't say that to <laughs> Simon as a, as a, as a Lib Dem that's worn out more pairs of shoes than he cared to think about delivering leaflets to the good people of Portsmouth. You, you, I'm, I'm going to need to, I'm going to need to work on but him it, afterwards but it's a free way of um it, it means i don't need to join a gym it, it means that although no, i'm not getting okay. paid to do well, it, we're at it it's alternative um, benefits yeah so you know so there so, so there are those benefits but to be fair i i quite often have to have the conversation about um and you know the the, the, the people on the other side of the of the other side of the argument so but we know that delivering leaflets works um and yeah I, i'm I, you know I, I'm, I'm not saying it, it, it doesn't work but it kind of seems the point I quite often make to them is that if I could go back 20 years and say to you, um, here's a tool that you can use from literally anywhere that will put your information in front of every single resident in the city and it's free or next to free, you'd bite my arm off, right? So why the hell aren't you using it more? Um, is kind of the you know, it's, it's kind of the conversation I have, but it's a, yeah, you know, 
I, I think it's kind of an interesting having the almost actually having the guts to say actually some you know these these if what we want is to use intelligence to figure out you know which which in a business sense it's you know what percentage of our customers are actually the ones that we derive our profit from which are the ones that are you know the cheaper to serve which are the which are the ones that are, are most effective to engage in a political sense that's a you know it's a slightly different sort of dynamic but you're effectively looking for which are the people that like our product which are the people that are gonna that are gonna buy our product on election day and making sure that they turn up to buy the product on election day um so i guess that's the that's kind of the, the marketing comparison but it's yeah it's um it's yeah, an interesting you're, in, you're into a whole you're into a whole thing then about the influence of facebook on the brexit debate then aren't you oh don't get me started on brexit debate on facebook but again you know cambridge, the whole cambridge analytica scandal yeah. you know it is people have to be people aren't aware of just what what ad revenue platforms are facebook is a nine billion user ad revenue platform its mm. interests are knowing as much as it can about you as it possibly can and you're happily and freely giving that to them yeah and that's fine yeah. I, I don't get i don't get concerned about that because i'm a i'm a future thinker but people are horrified when i tell them that actually they're not just posting up you know pictures of their kids and their grandkids they're telling people you know how much money they're going to spend you know they know how much money you're going to spend on your grandkids that's and i think there's a stat that actually there's only Facebook only has to have less than 20 likes from you to be able to tell you your voting preferences, your sexual orientation, your level of education and your level of employment. So you only have to be on there a very small period of time before they've worked out exactly what adverts to push in front of you. And people are horrified. Well, and I, I, I want to pick up on that, Becky, because I, I find it. Again, you've given us masses to think about here. But one of the things that I've, I've found very interesting is that you're looking at startups, you're looking at fairly small back bedroom businesses that, that then look to grow. But you've also touched on probably the two, the, the top two evil capitalist machines that are going to destroy entrepreneurial business, which is facebook and amazon but you seem you seem quite comfortable with both of their models and i'm, I'm just interested how the how the very tiny fish and the the two massive corporate machines that will eat everybody how do they sit comfortably in the same pond i think that everybody will always want to have something local i think what's happening is if you look at the kind of writing around the fourth industrial revolution what we're doing is we're going back to the 1950s model of small local independent mm. but with technology as a sort of brother or sister alongside it and I, you're not going to stop the rise of technology i mean you look at you know the 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 money making capability of of the big tech corporates and you can either rail against it and say it's horribly wrong i'm not going to change or you can actually say mm, okay i can exploit this for my own ends and i think clever startups and clever small business owners do that um, and they actually, I mean, if you look at how, how I started my business, I started on a, on a laptop and a mobile phone and that was it. And I couldn't have imagined, you know, when we were younger, that would never going to happen. You'd have to have an 82 page business plan, a mm. bank loan, the right connections that somebody played golf with, um, you know, and you'd have to have a really good relationship with your bank manager 
and a really robust, you know, business plan. And they'd be expecting that you would be, you know, employing staff. And actually now you can use outsourced people and freelance platforms to grow your business until it's sustainable. So there's less risk. But I think to me, I'm quite comfortable with anybody that's daft enough to start something in a dorm room and make millions out of it. You've got to admire that single mindedness. That's entrepreneurs. And if, if Bezos, I mean, if you look at Jeff Bezos, if you Google it, Jeff Bezos, Amazon, first office in 1988 or 99 it's just him and this massive pc with this huge computer monitor yep. um and he's been grinding you know he's been grinding this out for years and he's clever um, he's done all right though hasn't he he's done okay for himself so you know i just say good on him and, and i i don't think that i think the market decides what works and i think the great thing about technology is if you know how to use it then you'll win <laughs> and business is about winning you know it is about winning but not at all costs i mean there are some very very sort of i think morally shady stuff that amazon do do where startups are concerned um and i'm not a big fan necessarily of their business modeling but is it going to change probably not is it going to get even bigger yeah they haven't even started on what they're going to do with grocery yet in the uk Mm. it's you know so i think there will be in answer to your question i think there'll be a mix of the two and i think it will be survival of the fittest if you can adapt and pivot your small business model to include an, an element of you know customer satisfaction that can't be given by anybody else they will stay with you um but if you refuse to pivot and this is what I, why a brick and mortar stores or retail is is failing so badly is because massive business rates, massive overheads, and when you're up against somebody who can set up on Shopify for very, yeah. very little money, so it is, it's, it's a massive shift. So, thinking locally, Becky, what makes Portsmouth a good city to do business in, or is it a good city to do business in? Oh, this is just a whole other conversation. Um, I think <laughs> Portsmouth is evolving, and I think that um, it's got a great passion for innovation and for people wanting to start businesses I think what's lacking is the support networks that there was no ecosystem before we we made it happen yes there was some a couple of big corporates saying and a couple of quangos saying that they were doing it really well but the results were just absolutely dismal I think there's, there was some key stats that I asked for when I was on several business and enterprise panels sort of saying tell me how many startups there are in this city that start every year nobody could tell me tell me how many fail nobody could tell me and i said you know this was like four or five years ago so mm. how can nobody know okay. how, how can nobody know um how can you and, manage the problem if you don't have the data yeah, yeah precisely so we're back to data again hmm. so um and it's very difficult because you can go through some very long-winded ONS data. Um, but we should know this is a city, you know, for a city to be progressive and forward thinking and, and, and truly innovative, it needs to know it's blinking numbers. Um, and that was my major frustration. It was just, it seemed to be a lot of talking going on and, and not a lot of action. And um, for me, it was okay. If I move fast enough, we move fast enough. We can get enough crowd. We can get a critical mass. Then we can really change things. 
Um, so it's not unlike politics, really. It's just, um, you know, creating a, a crowd and community that can influence change is really important. Um, and I think that we are a city that want a legacy for our children that isn't just marine engineering. And there's no disrespect to those industries. It's just we are brilliant at the Navy. We do Navy really well. Mm. Um, but we have to realise that to build sustainable businesses into the future, that technology has to sit alongside that. Um, and we're not that great at supporting the digital and creative industries. And that was my frustration. And I think that was the, the problem that we solved. I think it can change, but I think we need to move away from this propensity of, have you got a shop? Have you employed 10 staff yet? And it's like, well, if you're engineering a business that people don't understand and they don't can't even see, which was <laughs> how I was building mine, it, it was it was you know it was very difficult for people to even understand that concept, and they didn't want to. A lot of people didn't want to listen because they thought, oh well, it's just you know people in a pub. What, what difference can a you know a motivated community of individuals make possibly? What, what's, I don't what... know. <laughs> What's the saying? Um, never fail to believe that a small group of um, well-intentioned, uh, committed individuals can um, uh, can deliver change. Because in truth, it's the only thing that ever has. Um, I forget who whose whose quote I've actually genuinely murdered there because I've paraphrased it beyond 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 usefulness. But it's an interesting kind of point to, to some people that there's still the impression of you're not a proper business until you've got a shop front or until you know until you've got an office space. Um, but actually, is that something that in our current yeah. environment is is needed anymore? Um, you know, I think I think it's a it, no is the is the answer. I think the the problem is if you look at some of the biggest tech unicorns now globally, they don't actually have an office anywhere in the world, so everything's done on Zoom. You know, like we we're, we're doing this now, and they mm. will have you know two hundred to five hundred employees, and it allows you to recruit for the best talent because the best talent might not necessarily be down the road anymore. The best talent might be in San Francisco or London or Berlin. So if you want to build a great tech business, you want the best talent. And people who understand tech use tech. So um, it's always seemed a little bit crazy to me that somebody said, oh, I need you know a, a supplier, but I want to use somebody local. And it's like, well, that's cool if you can find somebody who's really good. But if you can't, you can use somebody somewhere else. Um, and you can use another small business owner in, in another geographic area of the country or another geographic area of the world. But it's just, it's very, very difficult for people with a traditional mindset, I suppose, that old school mindset of, well, you've got to have a business plan. And I got told this when I went for help, when I first started up, it was like, well, where's your business plan? Don't need one. Not spending any money. I'm bootstrapping. What does bootstrapping mean, Becky? Well, it means <laughs> yeah. things <laughs> until you prove a concept and then you build an audience then you have money then people will pay for something so it's actually not fundamentally understanding business modeling so it's it's yeah it's difficult because it's an intergenerational it goes back to what you're saying about ian earlier about tiktok it's an, almost an inter, intergenerational rub between you know the, the new views of technological innovation companies and um the, the more traditional, you know, brick and mortar business. It's a brave new world. Yeah, and I think there is, 
you know, one of the things that, and I guess it's, you know, we're coming up on our hour. In terms of, you know, looking ahead at the future, you know, it's clear the impact of COVID in terms of, you know, human loss of life has been significant and it is going to have a significant effect on on business and it's it's liable that we're going to have a pretty significant reset you know recession i guess as, as somebody who's you know always looking to pivot and evolve and see where that next opportunity comes what are your hopes as we come out of the back end of the covid crisis um well i hope i get better because i had it in march so um and i'm a long hauler so i still have some of the uh long haul fatigue uh symptoms uh, and i would hope that post-pandemic people actually realise that they should be looking after their families and their friends primarily and everything else is secondary and and, and in a very Miss World type way I would say I would hope for for world peace and, and better understanding and less judgment because I think that that's what we need now and, and what I actually see is actually a fragmentation of society where people are be, being set against one one another um, because they feel as if they're in survival mode. And I would hope that that will lessen. I hope the fear will lessen for people because it's really important that it does. Um, for humanity, in, or, in order for us to progress, we have to be more tolerant as a society. Um, and we have to actually do the right thing by one another and look after one another. Um, and I think primarily when I started, you know, startup disruptors that's what it was about which is if we live in a city that doesn't look after its own people how the hell are we ever going to survive together um and actually setting you know people against each other or politically or economically is is not a good plan um if we want a sustainable world to live in uh, and that was really that is has always been my view probably you know a little bit altruistic and 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 I've been called naive but I don't think it is naive I think it's you know if you're a decent human being people can see that people can see who you are by through your thoughts words and deeds um and you know it's a very famous suffragette saying which is deeds not words and, and I think that in this city if people did less talking and, and more doing we'd be we'd be better off uh, and I think that that's endemic in, in the whole of the United Kingdom is that we need to be better at helping each other out. I think Definitely that's a fabulous place for us to, uh, to, uh, to uh, amen at and end the podcast. So thanks ever so much, Becky. You've Thank been you. listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And our guest has been... Becky Lodge. And I've been Simon Sandspring.